Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. You made it to church. Uh, give yourselves a hand, all right? Give yourselves a hand. Great to see you today. And if you're joining us online, man, thank you so much for joining us, being here with us today as well. Uh, yeah, you know, this, these are crazy times. And uh, it seems like things are constantly changing. You, know, you think you get to go in one direction and then things pivot and change again. And we've had a lot of changes even over this last week as far as uh, government and, uh, uh, you know, announcing how we should handle things as, as far as gathering together and so on. And our Tarrant County leaders and our municipal leaders. So this is a constant ebb and flow. So thank you for just praying and being faithful uh, to be here and be a part. Uh, but, you know, there's one word that we've learned since this whole COVID crisis that we did not really use before. We got a whole language, right? But here's one word, uh, social distancing, right? Did you ever use that word before COVID? Probably not. Social distancing. And so now, now that's the buzzword. That's like the new normal. Everybody's talking about social distancing. Are you being socially distant? I mean, everywhere you go, that's, we're constantly thinking in terms of six feet, all right? You're like measuring it out with your arm. You know, are we being socially distant? You can't go to a store without them reminding you with signs to be socially distant. You, they have stickers on the floor that I guess you're supposed to stand on those things to remind you you're keep your distance. You can't go to a restaurant without this table is closed off and that one's closed off. You can sit at that one, but they've got to be distant. We've got to keep our distance. You can't even go to church, right? Without rows like marked off and you got to keep seats between you and all that kind of crazy stuff. Got to keep our distance. If you're online, you're going, man, I'm, I'm online here so I can keep my distance, right? All of this is, is how we're living our life right now, keeping our distance. But here's a question. How is that impacting you? I'm not talking about physically, but I'm talking about emotionally, spiritually. How is keeping distance from other people affecting your life? Recently, a study from the University of Manchester uh, dove into that question. What is socially distancing doing to us emotionally, relationally, spiritually? Well, one little pull out, one little quote of that study said this, our study shows that these physical losses are having a knock-on effect in the form of emotional losses, such as a loss of self-worth, a loss of motivation, and a loss of meaning in daily life. Basically what they were saying is this, when we are distant from other people, we begin to lose our sense of meaning and purpose in life. When we live socially distant from others, when we isolate from others, it, it begins to pull out the meaning and the value of life. Now, that was a recent study over just the last uh, couple of months. However, what we're going to read in the book of Ecclesiastes is basically the same thing, and that was written thousands of years ago. Right? But he's basically going to tell us that without people in your life, 
you don't really experience life the way God wants you to experience it. So once you get your Bible out, I mean, this is current stuff right now. Uh, get your Bible out, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. That's uh, where we're going to be landing today. We are in our study under the sun, and we've been looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, just kind of making our way uh, through this. And in chapter 4, uh, King Solomon, who wrote this book, one of the greatest kings in Israel, He's contrasting some things. He's like, here you got one thing, but this is better. Here you got this other thing, but this is better. So he's, he's showing what is better. And in this little segment we're going to read, he's talking about living in isolation is not as good as living with people, right? That it's better to be in community. So that's what we're going to dive into right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 7. This is the word of God. Again, I saw futility under the sun. There's a person without a companion, without even a son or brother. And though there is no end to his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asked, and depriving myself of good things? This too is futile and a miserable task. Now stop right there for just a minute. Solomon starts off and he's talking about an observation that he makes. He said, I saw this guy. We don't know if this is somebody he actually knows, somebody he knows from a distance. Some may even argue that this is kind of a commentary on his own life, but he says, I see this guy. And this guy is all alone. This guy doesn't have anybody in his life. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't have a friend. He doesn't have a classmate. In fact, he goes on to say that he, has, he is without a companion. Underline those fra that phrase. He is without a companion. There's nobody that he's sharing life with. He goes on to his son. He say he doesn't have a brother. He doesn't have a son. So what does this guy do since he doesn't have anybody in his life? Well, you know what he does? He works. He works 24-7. He just works and works and works. It says there is no end to his struggles. He works 24-7, nights and weekends, 14, 16, 18-hour days. He works all the time. He's constantly at the office. He is working uh, with, with no off time, uh, no vacation time, uh, no sick leave, no comp time. I mean, this guy just works and works and works all the time. He's making the money, he's climbing the ladder, but he has no one to share his life with. You know anybody like that? Just kind of consumed with their work, consumed with, with, uh, with constantly getting and advancing their careers. That, that's what this guy's like. You know what's interesting is that when we think of the idea of isolation, we tend to think, especially in this COVID season, we think about shelter in place. Or we think about quarantine, right? That's how we think of isolation. But when King Solomon thinks about isolation, he thinks about work. In other words, that your work can actually isolate you from people that bring you life. 
Your work can be consuming to you. Now listen, I'm not, he's not saying, and I'm certainly not saying that work is a bad thing. Work is a good thing. In fact, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he makes the argument that work is actually a gift from God. And it's one of the few things that gives us joy in life to actually do something worthy and, and derive pleasure from the work. So he's not ever saying the work is bad, but what he is saying is when work becomes your life, then that's a problem. When work begins to push out other people, and especially relationships in your life, you become increasingly more and more isolated, and that's a bad thing. Not only is it a bad thing, it can actually kill you. I read an article this week about, uh, this happened a couple years ago, 31-year-old journalist from Japan that worked for their major uh, broadcast network died after logging in 139 hours of overtime in one month. Literally, this young woman worked herself to death. In fact, in Japan, they have a name for this, Kuroshi, which means literally to work oneself till you die. And it really brought a spotlight on the abuse of, of being overworked in Japan and worldwide. Now listen, you may say, well, Craig, that's a pretty extreme case, right? I don't know anybody that's literally like, I mean, I say I'm working myself to death, but I'm really not working myself to death. Yeah, I understand that, but, but just think about it for a moment. I know a lot of people that because of their fixation on their work, constantly, constantly working, they're not dying physically, but their marriage is dying. Their relationship with their kids, that's dying. Their friendships, long gone. I mean, and so what are you left with? You're left with kind of a hollow existence. And that's what this guy is doing here in this passage. In fact, in 1971, a, uh, a, uh, a psychologist named Wayne Oates came up with a new term. And the term, we know it now, it's very common, but back then it was a new term, and the term was workaholic. We never had that term before 1971. But he said, these are the people that have a compulsion to work excessively. And you might say, well, you know, what is a workaholic? Well, workaholic takes the American dream, hey, I can have my own business, I can make my own way, and turns it into American nightmare. Where I, I'm losing my own life while I'm constantly, constantly working. And uh, there are many articles that talk about, do you have signs of, of workaholism? Uh, but here are a couple of thoughts. One is, if you work too much, <laughs> duh, right? Uh, you might be a workaholic. Number two, if you, if you uh, push out other things in order to work more, like, okay, I'm not going to go to that ball game because I got to work. I'm not going to go to that recital because I got to work. I'm not going to go on that date with my wife because I got to work. I've got to, if constantly work begins to erode into the, the space of your other life, the other parts of your life, then that's a major problem. That's a sign of it. Another sign is if you feel guilty if you're not working. If you're actually sitting in church going, man, I should be filling out reports. I should be returning those emails. I feel guilty because I'm not working. Some of you are thinking that right now, right? Uh, and you're just, the compulsion to step out in the hallway and shoot off that text, right? Or, or if you just simply can't relax and when you do that stresses you out then your wife goes just go to the office all right you'd be much better off there and you're stressing us out here anyway just go back to work if your work 
is hindering you or hurting your family relationships, your friendships, your physical health. Those are all signs of workaholism. Now the reason why I bring that up is because that's what this guy is. In, in verses 7 and 8, he said, I saw a guy, he didn't have anybody in his life, all he did was work. He worked and he worked and he became increasingly more and more isolated. And then he says, this guy has a moment of awareness. And he asks himself a very important question. He says, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I busting it so hard at the office or at the job site? Why am I doing that and I've got nobody to share with? Why am I working so hard to climb the ladder but I don't have any person in my life that I can enjoy these things with? I, I come home and my house is empty. Why do, I, why do I do this? And by the way, this is a really important question to ask yourself. Why do you do the way, the things that you do? Why are you so driven? Why are you so determined? Why is it so important to you? Why is your, your identity so wrapped up in your work? Why is it so important to get that next deal or, or to advance to that next level or have that next uh, step or check mark on your resume? Why is that so important? And why are you allowing to sacrifice things at home in order to have it? He asked the question, why? And that begins to move him towards some change uh, in his life. I had a, a friend that told me this week, he said he went to work for a big corporation and uh, they were going to pay him a, a lot of money. And so he was quite happy to get the paycheck, right? He, they said, however, we want you to understand something. Your work, when you come to work here, your work is your wife. Your wife is your mistress. And when work calls, work comes first. That's why we pay you the way we pay you. And he said, I, I lived under that for several years. And he said, I just realized it was just sucking the life out of me. So he said, I had to quit because I couldn't live under that circumstance. You know what Solomon calls that kind of life? Look at the end of verse eight. He says, it is futile and it is miserable. It's miserable to live that kind of life. And so Solomon, remember he's contrasting things and, and here he's contrasting this isolated kind of existence of just working all the time and he contrasts it with something that's better. So look at verse 9. He says that's, that's kind of painted the picture of what isolation looks like. And then in verse 9 he says two are better than one. In other words, what he's saying is life in community, life in relationships, life with family is so much better than life alone by yourself. Even if you have money, even if you have prominence, even if people know who you are, if you're alone in it, it's not to be compared. Life in community is better than life alone. In fact, I want you to write that down. Okay, right on the margin of your Bible, right here in Ecclesiastes, life in community is better than life alone. Life with your family is better than that promotion. Life with friends is better than a bonus. Life with people in your life that love you and care for you is so much better than being a success financially but having no one to share it with. Gosh, this is so important. And so he just drives back home this need for community. We are desperate in need for community. 
You know, uh, our family, just probably like you over the last several uh, months as we've kind of walked through this COVID thing, uh, we've been home a lot. We've done a lot of Zoom calls from home. We've had a lot of meetings on the phone, a lot of that kind of thing. And so uh, we've, we've tried to watch some things on TV that we've never watched before. And so we got hooked on this new show. It's not really new. It's, I think it's in its second season now, but it's called Alone. Y'all watch that, Alone? And uh, it's a reality show where they take 10 people and they drop them off on this deserted island, but they're not together. They're spaced out by multiple, you know, several miles, so they never see another person, and they have to exist alone. Uh, they, they have a, a small list of items they can take with them. They have to survive all alone. And really the last person that stays the longest wins. You know, the last one that doesn't quit wins. And so this thing could go on forever. I mean, it could go on for a year. They don't know how long it's going to take. And so it's exciting to watch it because at the beginning of the show, everyone's so fired up. Man, I'm going to use my, my uh, skills, survival skills. So this guy's from the military. This lady teaches survival in the wild. So they got all these credentials, right? And so at the beginning of, you, sh you see the first couple of weeks and they're building their shelters and they're setting up their gill nets and they're catching their fish and they're setting their traps and they're just talking about how cool this is and man, we love this and this is great. I could do this forever. And then you get to about week three, all right? Then about week three, those people that aren't quite as good in the survival skill uh, stuff, they're starting to drop off, all right? They're starting to drop off. By week five, you're usually whittled down to a handful of people that really probably could survive for a long period of time because they just have that skill. But then what settles in is the suffocating aloneness. They don't have a camera crew. They set up their own camera. They often will start in those latter weeks talking directly to the camera, crying to the camera, dealing with all these emotional problems that are coming up. And they just say, I'm just so alone. I mean, yeah, they could survive physically, but they could not survive emotionally. Listen, this is, this is how God wired us. God wired us for community. You were created in the image of God in community and to need community. And, and when God created man, one of the first things he said is it is not good for man to be alone. I got to create a helpmate, somebody to come alongside him to live with him. And that's not a statement as much about marriage as it just is about life, that you weren't created to be that guy that's isolated, that woman that's isolated and, and not experiencing community. And so what he's saying is life together, life in community is so much much better, so much sweeter than living socially distant from other people. And, and I guess maybe Solomon in his own mind or maybe he's anticipating other people asking, well, why is that? Are you sure that it's so much better? And so he begins to kind of roll off a couple of ways we know why it's so much better. So let me give you to you. There are four of them right here. Pretty, pretty self-explanatory, but just kind of walking you through it. One is he says that life in community is better because it provides productivity. Look at verse 9. He says two are better than one because they have a good return for their efforts. They have a good return for their efforts. He's saying, you know, if you got 
people with you, then they can help you. You can get things done better, quite quicker, faster, if you have people with you. You know, this, uh, this last several months, we've done more home projects, all right, than I've done in my whole lifetime, all right? But paint rooms, you know, fix this, repair that. Uh, one of the projects was to resod a part of my backyard, all right? So I get the sod, and I'm going to bring it in and get all the stuff, and I'm fully prepared to do this by myself. Uh, I'm really not that handy of a guy, but I, I can sweat, all right? So I can figure that out put the pallet, you know, put the dirt down and put the grass on it, no problem. And, but I had two guys that just showed up, friends of mine showed up, said, hey, we heard you were, you know, laden sod. Liz probably called them, right? Craig doesn't know what he's doing. Would you please come help? Anyway, uh, and they just showed up and, and they helped me in what would have taken me like a half a day, took us about a half an hour of just, just working it, just working it. Two are much better than one. Three, even more than that. So we're more productive. I remember when, when Liz and I, uh, several years ago, uh, we were, were moving houses and we were gonna move from one house to another and somehow days got moved around and I ended up having to be in China all right, when the move was supposed to happen. Guys, I want you to try that, all right? Honey, I think I've got to be in China, all right? Uh, the marriage did survive, but it was not, it was choppy there for a little bit. And uh, so sure enough, I'm in China. Liz is like closing on the house by herself. And then it comes moving day and there's no way she's going to move everything by herself. We still had little girls at the time. And I mean, an army of our friends showed up. And they literally moved us to our new house. I, I left for China from one house, came back into another house. I mean, it was an amazing thing. Uh, and there's no way we could have done it except more people just roll up their sleeves. And see, this is really what community does. It is so much more productive to do life with another person because you simply get more done. All right? He's being very utilitarian here, right? Not super spiritual. You need people in your life just simply to help you be more productive. But he moves on from that to really things that matter kind of more deeply. He says life and community also provides more support. Look at verse 2, or verse 10, more support. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Listen, we're all going to fall at some point, right? You're going to fall at some point. You're going to fall into uh, a tragedy. You're going to fall into uh, a bad business decision or a bad financial decision. You're going to fall into depression. You're going to fall into a crisis. And we need somebody that's going to be walking alongside us to pull us up when we fall. All of us are going to go through that. You know, last week I was being very vulnerable and honest with you about our youngest daughter's wedding and how I had this meltdown at Lowe's parking lot. If you didn't hear that, you got to go back to last week and listen to it. But uh, it was a true story. So I'm telling this story to you guys about how I had this emotional meltdown and, you know, this kind of thing. Well, I get a text from a friend of mine that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and he said, Craig, you should have called me. I could have told you that you marry them off, but they come back, okay? And I was like, oh, I should have called you, man. I should have called you. But I just thought how cool it was that he texted me because we need people that do that, that text us and go, hey, it's going to be okay. Hey, I've been through that. Hey, you're going to make it through that. 
Who texts you like that? Who, who is the one that picks you up when you're down? That checks on you when you isolate? Who's, who's the one that goes, hey, what's up, man? I haven't seen you. Or why are you acting that way? It, it, the words that really haunt me is the end of that verse 10. Pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. And it's, an, it's a sad day when you wake up one day and realize, I've got nobody in my life. I've got no one in my life that knows me. Nobody that really cares about me. No one that supports me when I need it. He said you're more productive, you, you're, you're more supportive, you get more support. Here's another reason. Uh, life and community provides comfort. Verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Uh, how can you do that? Uh, it, obviously the illustration is the two people or a person traveling at night and of course in, in Israel it's, it's, it's desert weather so at night it gets super cool, super cold, hot during the day, cold at night and so a person's traveling by themselves and they build a little fire, they got to spend the night but they bundle up but all you can do is shiver if you're by yourself. But he said if you got somebody with you then you can stay warm. And so most scholars believe he's not necessarily talking about physical warmth, but he's talking about emotional warmth. He's talking about comfort. He's talking about someone that comes alongside you and warms your heart, warms your life with their presence, with their comfort, with their assurance. Do you have somebody like that? You have somebody in your life that just comforts you, that checks up on you and says, hey, let's go get some coffee. Hey, I know you're having a hard time. Let's go out to lunch. It's on me. Or let's go to a movie. Let's just forget all this crazy stuff. Let's go to a movie. Let's go, let's go do something together and spend time together. And after you spend time with them, you go, man, I just feel better because I have a friend that warms my heart. Listen, that's what a friend does. That's why two are better than one. That's why life in community is better than life alone. Then he gives one more, just kind of clicking through these. Verse 12, it says, and if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. This is it, that it, community provides protection. If someone it rolls up on you, then you got somebody that's got your back, right? You've got somebody that, that will stand with you, somebody that will fight for you, someone that will, will, uh, will take a stand with you. I had a friend of mine years ago that, that bought me this little statue and, uh, and the statue is three guys and they, one of them has a spear and one of them has a sword and they kind of are in this battle, uh, this battle posture, right? And they're in a circle all facing outward so they all kind of have each other's backs and, and they're kind of in this like bring it on kind of stance and at the bottom of the statue it just simply reads back to back. And this guy gave this to me because it was his way of saying, man, I got your back, you got my back, we're in this together. So who's got your back? Who's going to stand for you uh, when you're right? And who's going to stand up to you when you're wrong? And say, hey, you know, that's not right, that's not how we roll, that's not what we do. That's what a true friend does. 
So Solomon is basically saying, look, you can live your life in isolation. You can live your life only, you know, trying to uh, make more money and climb the corporate ladder and just push everybody out of your life. Or you can live your life in community. And community is so much better. You're more productive. You got more support. You got someone to warm your heart. You got somebody to stand up and fight for you. Can, but, but you got to choose how you're going to live your life. You got to choose which one is which, right? Because, because you can't live in isolation with, with your work is only your source of life and, and relationships. It's got to, it's got to be a choice. You've got to make some decisions here. And, and Solomon is saying it's so much better when you live life with people that love you, that care about you. Now listen, as I'm saying this, there are two kinds of people listening to me right now. You're either listening right here, you're listening at home, but there are two kinds of people. One, one person is, as I'm saying all that, you're, you're thinking right now about these people that are in your life, right? You're like, man, I'm so glad I've got John and Fred and Susan. And you know, you're just thinking about these people that know you, that love you, that you've done, maybe you've done community with for years. And you're like, you know what, I, I, that's so true, man. That's so true. And as I've been going through it, you're like, yeah, I can remember a time when that happened and that happened. And, and, and you are, if that is true, then you are a very rich person. You're a wealthy person because you have relationships the way God designed you to have. But there's another kind of person here and they're saying, I wish I had somebody like that. But I think if I fell, nobody would pick me up. I don't think anybody would come fight my battles with me. I don't know of anybody that really warms my heart. I don't have anybody like that. So if you're in that second category, let me talk to you for just a minute. If you are here, here's what I want to ask you to do. A couple of things. One is, I want you to pray that God would show you someone to be a friend to. Now notice I didn't say, ask God to give you a friend. I said, ask God to show you someone you can be a friend to. I really believe that friendship is just a byproduct of caring for someone. Friend is not something you get, hey, would you be my friend and take care of my needs? Would you be my friend and take care of my needs? You know, why aren't you taking care of my needs? That's very myopic and self-centered, right? That's selfish in motivation. But if I go to a person and say, hey, I want to be that guy's friend or that gal's friend, and I'm, I'm willing to help them and support them and warm their heart and back them up. Uh, when you do that, all of a sudden you wake up one day going, I got a friend too that reciprocates that kind of relationship. So ask God, who are the people you've already put in my life that if I would just take initiative, I could be a friend to them. You may be the answer to the prayer they've been praying every night. And God, I feel so alone. And they may, may be an answer to your prayer. Second thing, take a risk on connect groups. You know, we have connect groups here that help people get together. You know what they do? They pray for each other. They support one another. They, they care for each other's needs. They, they uh, fight together. And, and, and they do all these things that we're reading in Ecclesiastes. Those things are actually happening. And I, if we had time, I could do open mic and people could come up and share story after story of how, man, this, my group helped me move or they, they helped me navigate a business decision or they prayed for me when we were in crisis or we were dropping off we we're in a diff difficult dark place and they pulled us out of it I mean that is common common everyday stories around here but you know what the people that choose not to be in a group tend to be the most isolated so give connect groups a chance and then the last thing is this 
do something soon. Do something soon. Don't kick the can down the road. You know, somebody tells you, well, you know, I'm going to get that in the fall. We'll get around to that. Well, you know, fall, well, maybe, maybe, you know, when we get through the holidays, then we'll take care of that. But, you know, after spring break would be much better for me. Well, you know, we're kind of into the summer, so maybe next fall. And, and we just can tend to kick this can down the road and you end up never really living the life that God has for you. Life in community is so much better than life alone. Now I want to show you how Solomon wraps up this whole talk and it's got a little twist to it. A little twist. Look at verse 12. He's just been talking about battling and fighting and protecting one another and then he says in verse 12, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, that should kind of get your attention because Solomon's been talking about two. Two better than one. Two to one. Two to one. Two to one. Two to one. Every, that's all he's been talking about. And now all of a sudden, three. The cord of three strands. Well, where, what's this three in here for? And I think in a pragmatic way, what he's saying is, look, if, you, if you're alone, that's not as good as having a friend. And so two people are better than being alone. But then he's saying, hey, if you had another friend, that's even better, right? If you've got two friends, two close friends, that's better than being alone too. So yeah, two is better than one, but three is even better than one because you're living now in community. So I think that's basically what he's saying. There's strength in numbers. There's strength together when we live in a community. That's why we have a church family. That's why we love each other. We live in community because it's more people around us that provide the community that we need. However, I have to admit when I saw that three strands, my mind went to another place in the Bible and that's all the way back to Genesis. Remember in Genesis when God created the man and woman, right? The first family, the first community. He created a man, Adam, and he said it's not good for him to be alone. So he created a woman to be with him in community. So he created a man and a woman, but there weren't just two people in the garden. There was a man and a woman and the God who created them, who had knit them together. So there were three. And as I was thinking about that, God really spoke to my heart that, you know, this is what God wants in your relationship. It's really three braided cord. The God who created you knitting these relationships together. Liz and I celebrate our 34th wedding anniversary this weekend. So we're celebrating that together. And we have a little plaque that has this Ephesians 4:12 on it in our house. And there's a little braided cord that is attached to it or lays right next to it. And it's a reminder that although God created me and he created her, it's Jesus that weaves our life together and holds us together. That is true in your marriage, but it's also true in your friendships, in your business relationships, in your church family, that, that these are friends, not just friends that you know from high school or college, you know, or somebody you know from work. These are, he's not talking about those kind of friendships. Do you have friendships that have Christ woven in the center of them? Do you have friends that, that your friendship is woven with Christ in the center and so they're constantly praying for you and pushing you to love Jesus and, and pushing you to serve him and are working shoulder to shoulder with you to advance the kingdom of God in your lifetime? Do you have people like that in your life? That's what God wants. And a cord of strands like that with Christ woven in the center 
is unbreakable. Solomon is contrasting the isolated life with life and community. So which one is your life? Are you in isolation? Or are you in community? Do you have Christ at the center of your life where he has woven your life together and woven your marriage together and woven your relationships together? And if not, then the first step toward community is a step toward Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Listen, you may be here today and you realize, having listened to King Solomon, that you really are isolated. I mean, just maybe you're having a moment of self-awareness and or maybe it's just obvious. You really don't have deep friends in your life, no one to pick you up, no one to warm your heart, no one to stand their ground on your behalf. You're just living isolated. And if you do have some friends, they're kind of friends from uh, that don't really necessarily love Jesus. You may have a common uh, interest in work or sport or hobby, but but they're not people that are woven. It's not a relationship with Jesus at the center, woven into the center. And so maybe today is kind of a wake-up call for you to say, why am I living this way? Why am I doing this? Why do I think that continuing to be isolated and fixate on my work is, is going to give me a life? I, I feel hollow. I feel empty. I feel futile. I feel miserable. Well, maybe the first step is to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be in the center of my life. I want my life wrapped around you. When your life is wrapped around work, it lends to emptiness. But when your life is wrapped around Jesus, he gives life to the full. And so maybe this morning is coming back and saying, Lord Jesus, I want you to be in the center of my life. I don't want to idolize my career, my work, my possessions. I want to, I just want to pursue you. And I want relationships. I want my family to be knitted around you, Jesus. I want my friendships to be knitted around you, Jesus. To be woven around you. See, here's the good news. When you and I were far from God, living our own life, sinful, wayward, wicked to the core, that God saw you and he loved you. He saw you in your lonely place, in your isolated place, in your empty place. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, and Christ came to not only demonstrate the Father's love to you, but to give his own life on your behalf and on the cross. He was nailed to that cross. All of your sin, all of your waywardness was put on the back of Jesus and he died in your place to remove the barrier of sin, to, to bring you back into fellowship with God and then to bring you back into fellowship with people. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again the third day and he offers you new life new relationship with God, real community, and it's yours for the taking if you'll receive it. 
So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do that, to just right here, right now, to ask Christ to come into your life. So if you've never given your life to Christ, maybe you're seated here, and today's your day. God's tugging at your heart. Maybe you're uh, listening from home, and yet God's speaking to you right now that this is your moment to receive Christ. The reason why you feel so isolated is because you don't know Jesus, and you want Christ to come into your life, to be the center of your life around which everything revolves. Then I'm going to pray the simple prayer. And I want to invite you to pray with me. So pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm far from you. I know that I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I need you. Please forgive me. Forgive me for making other things more important than you. Forgive me for making my own desires more important than you. Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you and to trust you from this day forward. Thank you for forgiving me. And just with your heads bowed, maybe you're a believer, but you're living in isolation. Would you just say, Lord, help me to live in community with people and not to just live on my own. You just ask him to do that. Lord, bring people into my life that I can live in community with, God. That I can praise you with. That I can serve you with, God. I want you in the center of my relationships and in my life.